So welcome, welcome. We're going to be talking about hell today. This is uh, quite interesting. We, so last week we spent some time talking about heaven, and we talked about the three heavens and how there used to be uh, just one heaven in general, and then through sin uh, there was that division, and then now we're going to be talking about hell. So um, why is it good for us to talk about stuff like this? We, we talked about, about this a little bit last week, but just as a little bit of review, why is it good for us to talk about this kind of stuff? This isn't just information, but why should we talk about these sorts of things? Makes you think. Yes, about God and Bible. the Bible. Current situations. Mm-hmm. Lost family members. And yeah, <laughs> and people in general that are yes. going there. I mean, we don't really realize how many people. I forget what the statistic is of how many people die per minute, but the majority of people that die do not go to heaven. And I think about this often, like when I think about um, different people, different famous people, different people that you know that have died and they do not know Christ and where they are right now. Like that's good for us to think about. Um, You know, like when Michael Jackson died, when Stephen Hawking died. You know, I think about Stephen Hawking, who he was anti-God for his entire life, one of the smartest men in the entire world, but turned out to be one of the most stupid men in the world. Because he didn't accept Jesus Christ as a savior. And so now he's spending eternity in hell. And eventually will be thrown into the lake of fire. Like you start thinking about stuff like that. I mean it really brings things into perspective. And, and it would really help you. Like if you, if you struggle with having a heart for people in general. Just when you walk through your school this week. When you walk through your school and you pass by people. Just look at people as you walk past them in the hallway. And just think about where are they going to go when they die. And you're going to start to have a heart for people. You should. If you don't, I mean, there's some serious callousness that you need to deal with between you and the Lord. But I'm telling you, it really it will break your heart. And it should. Because we know how not to go there. We know God's heart for the world. We know these things. And many times we're just afraid to say it. That's part of the reason why Wednesday night we're doing this study on Laodicea. And it's been a little bit hard. I mean, we've said some very hard things. We're talking about Laodicea. We're talking about us. But this Wednesday, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to have more of an interactive time together, just talking about the things that we've learned and and how we're doing with just these sorts of things and and how we're living these out practically, because it's very important. We live in a time of self-deceit, where we think we're okay when we're not, and we can convince ourselves we have a heart for people, but yet we don't tell them the gospel. And that's not right either. So we just really need to think about some of these things this morning. So with that as our backdrop, let's talk about some of this stuff today. All right. So point number two in this study of heaven and hell, we're going to be talking about hell. All right, so hell itself. So we, we spent some time uh, last week talking about this, and we'll just do this chart real quick, um, just so that way we've got some context with it. But we talked about in the center of the earth, there is a place called hell. hell. All right, so you got hell, and then you've got two sides of hell, all right? So we got this compartment, we got this compartment. And, uh, and I'm not sure exactly how this, this looks. Like there might be some sort of a thing here. And I know this part here is a, is a place that's got, uh, it's a gate with a lock right here. Um, so here, we'll just call this side, what are we going to call it? Abraham's bosom. All right, so we're going to call this Abraham's bosom, Abe's beak. And then over here, we've got the hell. Now, from the scripture's perspective, in the center of the earth, um, and then this would be the the bottomless pit or the abyss okay all right so here this whole thing from how the scripture talks about it, the whole thing is called hell 
right? This whole compartment, this whole area in the center of the earth is called hell. But the way that the Bible describes this side of Luke 16 is that you have one side of this is Abraham's bosom, also referred to as paradise. When Jesus was dying on the cross with the two thieves, he says, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And there's a few other places. Any of the Old Testament saints, when they died, the angels carried them there. We saw that in Luke 16 as well with the rich man and Lazarus. Because Lazarus was carried by the angels here, and the rich man came over here. And they were able to see one another. And from the flames of hell over here, he was being tortured. And he asked Abraham if Lazarus could dip the tip of his finger in water and just let one drop hit his tongue that he may be uh, just relieved from some of the pain that he was experiencing over on this side. And then this is the great gulf that's fixed out of Luke 16 that we read last week as well. So this whole thing would be called hell, all right? So what we're going to be talking about today primarily is here, here, and then we're going to be talking about the lake of fire, which is something completely separate. I also believe it's in the center of the earth, even though the Bible's not clear about it, but we're going to be talking about that as well. All right, <clears throat> so hell, hell in general. When you read through some of these passages, which we don't have time to read through all of them, you can read through them later. Um, it is a place of sorrow. It's a place of pain. It's a place of torment. It's a place of fire and brimstone. It's a place of unquenchable and everlasting fire. Let's take a look at these passages. Let's go to Matthew. We'll just hit these ones. Matthew chapter 3. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12. This is John the Baptist preaching to the people, and he says in verse 12, whose fan, talking about Christ, is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Look at chapter 22. Chapter 22 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> well, we'll read this one anyway. This is not the one I wanted, but that's okay. We'll do this one, 22, and then we'll look at four, uh, another one. Okay, 22, 13. Take a look at this one. Not only is it unquenchable fire, but in chapter 13, it says, And the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's a burning and unquenchable fire. And it's also called outer darkness there too, which is your last one on here too. But go over to chapter 25, 25, and we'll see with unquenchable fire and outer darkness in chapter 25. Chapter 25 and verse... Forty-one, verse forty-one, and this one's one of our important verses within this topic. Then shall he say unto them, also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then back it up to verse thirty, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I wanted to show you some of those passages with unquenchable fire, unquenchable and everlasting fire, because it's a place of no rest. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an outer darkness, everlasting punishment, shame, and contempt. 
I mean, think about that for a second. It's a place of unquenchable, everlasting fire where there's no rest. They are constantly weeping and they're gnashing their teeth. What do you do? Like when you get hit or when you get like Ethan, when you got hit by that car, I'm kidding. Um, when, when you, when you like anyone got hit by a baseball being pitched at you, yeah, I know you have. Yeah. yeah doesn't that hurt? Okay. Anyone got hit in the head with a basketball and you weren't really paying attention? All right. Okay. All right. So anytime that you've gotten hit or you've hurt yourself, what's the first thing you do when you get hit and there's a lot of pain? Okay. Think about that for a second. When there's a massive amount of pain, the first thing you do is, okay, that's the gnashing of teeth we're talking about. That the moment someone dies, I mean, bam, we've already talked about like, you know, famous people that we know that have died. I mean, Robin Williams, um, Michael Jackson. uh, I mean, you think about Stephen Hawking. You think about some of these guys that have died within the last couple of years. As soon as they die, boom, they open up their eyes. And now where are they? They're in a place of sorrow, pain, torment, fire and brimstone, unquenchable, everlasting fire where there's no rest, weeping, weeping and gnashing of teeth, everlasting punishment, shame and contempt, outer darkness. Imagine a place, I wanted to do this, but I couldn't figure out a way strategically to do this, where it would be like pitch black, pitch black, and then you feel that you are on fire and it never stops and the pain is so bad that you're constantly grinding your teeth and you're weeping because of the pain. Like, I think about that and then I think about people going there. And this is what I mean. If you don't have a heart for people, there's something wrong with you. We become so numb by our life, our potential future, our current moment-by-moment pleasure that we forget stuff like this. And think about people that commit suicide. And I'm thinking about that because of Robin Williams, because I mentioned his name. But then I think about even just what happened at Perry within the last couple of years and what's happening in the schools every stinking year. Why do people want to kill themselves in this life? To escape the pain. What if they don't know Christ? They're escaping the pain to enter into something that is massively worse. So I just want to bring this into perspective for you guys, because this is the reason why we need to be thinking about these sorts of things. Because this is why God does not have any joy in the death of the wicked. This is why God is, is, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Like he's not kidding around. He does not want anyone to go there. I mean, we read 25, 41. Look at that. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Not people. It, that was never on God's mind. That was never on God's heart. That was never something made for us. And yet, that was something on the devil's mind. He wanted people to go there. So it really should cause us to consider our ways. It really should. And what really, really matters. All right, so it's located in the center of the earth. We've already talked a little bit about that. Um, we've already talked about in Ephesians uh, 4, um, how he talked about how Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth. We're already in Matthew. Go to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Matthew 
Can someone read 38, 39, and 40? Go ahead, Noah. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered, said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of Son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so we know that when Christ died, he descended, according to Ephesians chapter 4, and he went into the lower parts of the earth. Here it's called the heart of the earth. So this will be that hell component. We talked about when Christ came, that he went to Abraham's bosom. But because he was down here, and we talked about how there's some sort of a, a, a gate up here as well, um, with a lock, and the keys of hell and death are what unlocks that. And according to Revelation chapter 1, it talks about how Christ now has the keys of hell and death. So when he ascended, he took everyone from Abraham's bosom and he ascended up and he sent them to heaven as on his way up to be glorified with the Father. So now, I mean, think about it. Back in Luke 16, you had the rich man, you had Lazarus over here. And then now this compartment is now completely empty. So now over here, there's no one for them to look to. There's no one. There's no one over here to even talk to, like the rich man could with Abraham. Now these people are all gone, and all they're left with are themselves. And it's a place of outer darkness. And one of the illustrations that I was thinking about, too, is um, if you've ever um, uh, taken a match. I don't have a match with me or anything. I don't know if anybody does. If you do, why? But, um, <laughs> but if you look at a flame, and you look at a, the part of a flame... So if the next time you look at a match, and anytime I see a birthday candle or anything like that, you have the tip here, all right? When this bad boy's on fire, you see the flame, right? And so it comes down about right here, but then there's almost this, like this, where it's completely invisible. This part right here is a hint of blue, and then you've got yellow and red up top. Now the reason why that is is because, what? Science freaks. Heat. 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 The hottest heat is invisible. And then the next is blue on the visible spectrum, and then yellow, and then red. That's why stars are the way they are. So in hell, it is absolutely invisible. It's darkness, but yet it's the hottest heat imaginable. So that was going to be one of my illustrations I wanted to share with you guys today. All right. We've already talked about how letter C, hell was prepared by God for the devil and his angels as a temporary holding place until the final judgment. It was never intended to be a place for humans. So we spent some time talking about that as well. Now here's the part I want to spend a little bit more time on. Letter D. Every person that dies without the righteousness of God is blotted out of the book of life and detained in hell until the great white throne judgment. So God has this book. It's called the book of life. And we know according to Revelation chapter 20 verse 15, and whosoever was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire so anyone that dies without the righteousness of god whether it doesn't matter what dispensation if you do not have god's righteousness you do not get to go to heaven it's just how it works you don't get to go to abraham's bosom in the old testament you don't get to go to heaven today during the tribulation you don't get to go to heaven then that's not going to happen unless you are in the book of life and so at the final judgment, when everyone is called forward, uh, those that are, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, if your name is not found written in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. So God has this book that's called the book of life. Go to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. Let me show you a man here who really had this in perspective. Exodus 32. 
And I struggle with this because I get distracted. I get distracted by things in my life, so I'm just as guilty. But these are good passages to remember and to go back to, especially when you have a lack of compassion for people. All right. So, okay, so the context here, according to verse 24, um, is that Moses was up on the mountain with God, and he was talking with him, and they were writing the Ten Commandments and other commandments down, and he came down from the mountain because God told him to go, and the people were just, they were in sin. They were two golden calves that they were worshiping. They were dancing around naked. They were doing a whole bunch of stuff, and God wanted to destroy the people. I mean, outright just kill them all. And so you have their excuses, and Aaron was involved in verse 25 when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate uh, to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. So they had sinned, and God was ticked. And so Moses came down and he made things right. But here's the thing. God wanted to kill them all. Now look at verse 30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not... Blot me, I pray thee, out of, the, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto thee. All right, so here's the deal. This is an amazing picture, an amazing picture. I mean, as you can imagine, Moses was absolutely ticked. I mean, I could hear him going like this, like almost like he's almost bipolar in a way. Look at verse 30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, and this is how I picture it, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord, and peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. Okay? I imagine him just being very ticked. And then verse 31, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin... And then I just imagine a very long pause. You know, that punctuation mark in your Bible is really not found anywhere else in your Bible. And I just picture a great long pause, and he just stops, and he says, And if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. What a statement from a guy who loves his people. God, they've sinned against you. I'm mad about it, but that means that they'd be wiped out. And God, please, please spare them. Take me. Take my life. Kill me and let them live. That's the heart of a minister. That is the heart of a minister right there. And it's very, very convicting. That's the heart of Jesus Christ towards us. So God has this book. And that's the whole point of showing you this passage. God has this book that he writes in. It's called the book of life. And whoever sins and dies in their sin, God blots their name out. Now, this isn't something crazy. This is what they used to do back in the day before they had erasers, right? Because they didn't have erasers for pen on parchment, right? They didn't do that. So, imagine we're going to pretend Bobby's lost. 
Yeah, that or Andy. Should we do Andy? Maybe. <laughs> sure. Okay, let's do Andy. <laughs> all, right. Oh. all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We'll do Andy. Okay. So we'll say, for example, this is our book of life. Okay. All right. All right. So there's our book of life, and we'll say we got Bobby. All right. We'll put you on there, Andy. All right. Everybody else? No, no, no. I'm kidding. Okay, so the way I look at it is like this. And this is my theory, and I believe I can prove it, but I'm just thinking about it now, and I just want to share with you. So the moment that a person is conceived in the womb, I believe their name is written in the book of life. I believe that the moment that a, a child is conceived in the womb, that like that we were talking about, the moment that that sperm hits that egg, there's a flash of light. And according to John chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ is the light to every man that cometh into the world. I believe at that moment that God writes their name, whatever it's going to be, he writes their name in this book. And then when they're born, then you have the age of conscience, uh, the age of uh, the accountability, age of accountability, where you come to the point where you realize that you are a sinner and need a savior. Now at that point in time, your name's still in this book. And I believe, this is my opinion, that I believe that everybody's name is in that book till the moment they die. And I think upon your death, if you do not have God's righteousness, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, then this is what happens. Sorry, Andy. February 3rd, 2001. I know my date. What about that? I know. It's just an illustration. <laughs> All right. I believe that God comes in and to blot it out, this is what it means. That he blots it completely out so that way you can't even tell that Andy's name was in that book. And so now you just have this big block mark in that book of life. And so when it says in Revelation 20:15, and whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. Because it would just go, Bobby should have been Andy, but he did not accept the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And then you move on. So that's how that works. So it's very important that people's names are found in there. And people have a chance until they die. Until they die. So it's very important. Very important. All right, let's keep going. Letter B. Big letter B. The bottomless pit. All right, the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is located in the center of the earth between Abraham's bosom and hell. That's that Luke 16, 26, where it talks about the great gulf that's fixed between hell and Abraham's bosom. It is a prison that holds creatures, angels, the Antichrist for a period of time, the devil for a period of time, for various reasons and various periods of time. So let's take a look at some of these passages. It's all in Revelation for the most part. Go to Revelation 9. Revelation 9. All right, Revelation 9. And the fifth angel sounded, verse 1, And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So that's how we know that there's a separate gate with a separate lock, because you have the keys of hell and of death, and then you have the key to the bottomless pit. But he was given that key so he can unlock that. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there rose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Another reason why we know it's in the center of the earth. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. 
And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. Now that's freaky. Because imagine people being stung by these locusts. They're tormenting for five months and they're seeking death, but they cannot find it. I mean, just play that out for a second. I mean, they could jump off a building and they survive. They could shoot themselves in the head and they survive. They could try to hang themselves and their neck is not broken and they survive. I mean, think about that for a second. That's pretty crazy. They shall seek death and not find it. They're going to desire to die, but it's not going to happen. It's pretty creepy. It's pretty creepy. So there's that bottomless pit. So those are those creatures, locusts that are there. Who knows how they got there? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't really specify. Uh, But they're there right now, and they're going to be open during the tribulation. Take a look at uh, verse 11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. This is another term for the Antichrist. Uh, Take a look at chapter 17 of Revelation. Chapter 17. Chapter 17. In verse 8, the beast, that's another term for the Antichrist, that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wander, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Very interesting passage. We don't have time to get into that. But we know that the Antichrist is in the bottomless pit. And he shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Now, for those of you that know a little about it, we know that the Antichrist is going to exist in a human form here on the earth, right? So halfway through the tribulation, he's going to be assassinated, as the scriptures talk about in Revelation. When he rises from the dead, he's going to be possessed by this spirit that is in the bottomless pit. So that's why it says he ascends up out of the bottomless pit. So we don't have time to go into all those details, but that's how to connect those dots there. All right, take a look at chapter 20, chapter 20, Revelation 20. Verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, there it is again, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So right at the second coming of Christ, when he casts judgment upon the nations of the earth, part of that judgment is that he's going to put the devil in the bottomless pit and lock him there for a thousand years, which is the thousand year reign of Christ. And then afterward, he's going to be loosed out of the bottomless pit right before the final, final judgment at the great white throne judgment. All right, so we got that one, and uh, we'll just keep it at that. But you can look up Acts 125, 1 Peter 3.19, Jude chapter 1, since there's only one chapter in Jude, and verse 6, and you can see how there's other things that are kept in the bottomless pit. So there's reasons why God keeps things there. We don't know all the details behind it, but we know that it exists. Uh, but the key part of that is the Antichrist is going to come from there um, halfway through the tribulation. All right, any questions on that? Yeah, Andy. Is there any inclination of what part of the world the Antichrist Come from? Yes. Yes. Um, So from passages in Ezekiel, and I don't know if it says it in Isaiah. I think it does in Jeremiah. It talks about how the Antichrist is called the Assyrian. 
Um, then in Daniel, it talks about how the Antichrist is going to be part Jewish at least uh, because he's called one of the brethren. Um, and that would make sense too because uh, Judas was also Jewish um, and is a type and also I believe is the Antichrist, which you don't really go into. But he's Jewish, so I believe that the Antichrist is going to be Jewish as well. But he's called the Assyrian. So they believe that he could come from the part of Syria, Assyria, but has a Jewish lineage. So whether or not he was a migrant that came from Israel and then actually moved to Assyria and then came up out of there, we don't know. Um, but he's going to come from another nation, but he's going to have a Jewish heritage. So it's not yeah. 2020 presidential No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> not that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. So is it like he's going to be born and then like grow up and just like kind of like Jesus did and like he knows he's the Antichrist all the time or is he just going to like show up? I don't know, honestly. It's, the scripture isn't really... It's not really clear on that. Um, because, like, you know, you can take guys like um, like Judas, for an example. Nowhere in the Gospels does it ever appear as if he has another motive. You find out later. But, see, this is part of that. The Bible talks about there, the seven New Testament mysteries, which we've talked about in here. But one of them is the mystery of iniquity. Now, the mystery of iniquity is very difficult to navigate through because the devil is just so subtle. I mean, that's why Genesis chapter 3 um, you know, even Job chapter one and chapter two, where it talks about the, the days when the sons of God present themselves before God, devil went among them. This is what he does. So he, his ways are not very clear. And that's why Proverbs talks about the strange woman, that her ways are movable, lest thou know them. So it's very, very difficult. So it's hard for us to say that Judas knew early on that he was going to betray Christ and he had ulterior motives. You find out after that he thought Christ was someone that he wasn't. But then you find out that he was also possessed by the devil which the devil is a cherub. And how in the world can a cherub possess a person? Because a cherub has a body. So that's so. there's a whole different like realm of thinking that you really need to work through on some of those details. But it's quite possible that he knew. Uh, the Bible talks about where Judas came from. And it talks about the sin of his mother. Um, and so whether or not he actually knew who he was and what was going to happen, I have no idea. It's hard to tell. Really hard to tell. It's very confusing. As are with most things with the devil. Very confusing. Any other questions? Yeah, Jack. The whole picture of hell, do you think that's why some religions get confused with, um, like, purgatory and whatnot? Mm-hmm. Do you think that paradise is, like, different level now? Yeah, yeah, they could. It's possible. Um, you know, the whole doctrine of purgatory comes from um, mainly tradition, but there are some passages that are in the Apocrypha, which are not part of the Bible that the Catholics try to use to justify the whole doctrine of purgatory. Um, but it's just nowhere found in the Bible. So, Way to get more money from the church. Yeah, ultimately. Something that they could use to gain more power over people. All right, anything else? Okay. All right, good deal. Okay, so that's the bottomless pit. So we talked about hell, we talked about the bottomless pit. Now we're going to spend the rest of our time in Revelation. We'll talk about the lake of fire. The lake of fire. So go to chapter 19, which you are already there. Should be anyway. Or close to it. Revelation 19. Okay. So the location is not specified in the Bible, but it is assumed to be in the center of the earth. Um, because there's really no other place that would make sense, logically speaking. But the Bible is not clear. So I want to make sure that you guys knew that. And then letter B. The lake of fire currently exists and will be where the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast out at the second coming of Christ. So I wanted to make sure this was clear because like, the lake of fire is not something that God will create and then people are going to go there. It currently exists because in Revelation 19, and someone go ahead and take verse 20. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you got it. 
The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Okay, so the beast and the false prophet, they completely bypass hell. And according to the scriptures, these are the first two that are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So they're going to test out the waters for the devil later on. Um, but here it says they were both cast alive into the lake of fire. So that means that it currently exists. Because at this point in time, God has not recreated anything. So it currently exists and the, uh, the devil will go there. But, but the beast and the false prophet are the first two that are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, and then letter C, after the final judgment of the devil, he will spend all eternity future there. So based on what we just read, even in chapter 20, you have verse 1, 2, and 3, that the devil is cast into the bottomless pit, and he's locked there for a thousand years. So for a thousand years, the only two people that are in the lake of fire is the beast and the false prophet. Then after the thousand years, the devil is loosed. He then continues to go out and he deceives the nations, which is verse 8. And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up. So his whole rebellion, he's able to go from nation to nation and deceive people and try to compile them to go up and fight against Christ. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And as soon as that happens, then begins the, the moments that start the great white throne judgment. So you have the beast, the false prophet. The third one to go there is going to be the devil. And then after that, you have verse 15, after the great white throne judgment. We'll just go ahead and read through the whole thing. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. All right, so this is how I picture this. This is really cool. So the devil's loosed out of the bottomless pit. He goes out throughout the entire earth. He gathers his rebellion. You have the city of God, Jerusalem. I mean, it's completely surrounded. You have multitudes upon multitudes of people that are coming to fight against Christ. God sees us. Jesus sees it. Boom, one word, they're gone. They're just dead. And then the devil is thrown into the lake of fire. And then all of a sudden, time just stops Heaven and earth are just set aside. Everyone is now present at the great white throne judgment of God. Okay? So that's kind of where it says that the heaven and earth flood away and there's found no place for them. So there's no place for anyone to hide. And then look at this. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. There it is. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. There are so many people out there that say, well, God's going to judge me one day. Yeah, he is. He absolutely is. And your works are going to judge you too. And that's what it says right there in verse 12. If you want to be judged by your works, go for it. I don't because I know my works. I don't want to be judged by my works because I would go to hell. I'll be sent to the lake of fire straight away. And then look at verse 13. <coughs> and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So that means that everything that is dead in, there's three places. Look at it in verse 13. What are the three? What are the three places where dead things are going to come from? The sea, death and hell. Okay, so death and hell are tied together and death and hell, but then the sea. What is that? Just pause for a second. What is that? You want to take a guess? Take a gander at what that is? Because... I thought that everything that died, especially, you know, 
humans, and we just talked about all this. There's no sea here. Could be. So there's two ways this could go. It could be the sea, but people that die in the sea, where do they go when they die? Heaven or hell, right? So does that make sense? Could be, but we only know there's only three things there. There's only three things in the lake of fire right now. You got the beast and the false prophet, and they're already judged. They're not coming back for the great white throne judgment. The devil's thrown in there, then the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment doesn't have anything to do with people from heaven, does it? Or are they there too? No, people in heaven are, well, it could. I was going to say, because they come from, like, you can see, like, see a glass. Like, we're going to be observers, because we're already judged. Like, our sin was judged at the cross, so we're not going to be called forward, and our names are not, I mean, our names are in the book of life, but we're not going to be called forward as if we're going to be judged. Yeah. unsaved but if it was just for unsaved then why would you need to have a roll call to see if your name is written in the book of life well that would be taken care of at the judgment seat mm-hmm. after the, the rapture would have already mm-hmm. for Christians trying to get you guys to think a little bit I know right anybody want to take a guess Purgatory. yes no <laughs> The false doctrine of purgatory. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, Bobby's name is blotted out. Sorry, Bobby. (laughs) Nothing? Okay. All right. So let's revisit this for a second. This will be fun. And we'll close with this kind of stuff. All right. Original earth. Where was God's throne? On top. Here. Okay. And you had the mountain of God, right? Yes. All right, so you had the mountain of God, and this is where the cher- the covering cherub, it's where Lucifer was. Sin happened, and then what happened? God flooded everything. Bam! God flooded everything, okay? And when he flooded everything, and he ended up putting a great space between, you got earth down here, God's throne is up here, and then we talk about the whole of creation is now covered with water, right? Okay, you got that? All right. Then, when God decided to create the firmament in the midst of the waters, and he divided the waters from the waters, and then he gathered those waters together and he called them seas, right? So now, after he did all that, this goes back like three, four weeks. Okay. So the waters that went up created what is called the Sea of Glass. And the waters that were below are somewhere at the bottom of the universe. And the gathering together of waters he calls seas. All right. So think about this. Before you had the earth, God's throne. Who ruled that kingdom? God ultimately, but who did he give in charge? Lucifer. So Lucifer had a kingdom and dominion, which means he had other creatures and other things living in his dominion. It wasn't just like angels and stuff. Where do you think the devils came from? They had to come from somewhere. So when God cast judgment and he parted, there are creatures that are in the sea. The sea gave up the dead which were in them. Death and hell, in the center of the earth, gave up the dead which were in them. And every man was judged according to their works. So the great white throne judgment is the final judgment for 
everything God has created within the timeline of history, mankind and otherwise. Make sense? Okay. I thought about that, but it just didn't seem realistic. I know, right? The Bible doesn't seem realistic? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's not just for humans. Because it doesn't make sense. Because if humans die on our sea, on the earth, then they're going to go to heaven or hell. So there has to be something else that's trapped in the seas. Something else. So, And devils, we know they work for the devil. They're disembodied spirits. They have the ability to possess bodies and creatures. So it's my theory that they actually did exist at one point in time with bodies back when Lucifer ruled heaven and earth from earth back at that time before God judged everything. That's just my take on it. Okay. All right. Any questions about that? If you do, we probably don't have time to answer them. Okay. All right. Good deal. You can think about that for a long, long time. All right, so after the final judgment, the devil will spend all eternity future there. We talk about that. It says this, that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Verse 14 of chapter 20. This is interesting. It says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So imagine how bad hell is, and then hell itself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is going to be even worse, even worse than what hell is described in the Bible. And then we've already mentioned this, all who are not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire and will remain there for all eternity. So, imagine being that person and once again thinking about people that have gone there. I even think about family members that have been lost and they've, they've died currently there in hell, which is unbelievable to even think about. Then one day in the future, death and hell will deliver up the dead which were in them, so now they're all going to come out, stand before the great white throne judgment, And if their name is not found written in the book of life, then they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. That's horrible. That's horrible. The only relief they have is that they were cast out of hell to be judged, then to be thrown into the lake of fire again. That's absolutely horrible. So we need to think about these things. We need to think about these things. All right. I think that's it. There's a couple of things we could talk about. We just don't have the time. Any questions before we end? Okay. All right. So all these things, please, 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 let it just motivate you to have a heart for people this week and think about them. Because if you look at your life, when you weigh things out as far as priorities, you know, this is why eventually you have to come to the place where you have to overcome the fact that, you know, well, if I say this, then I'm going to lose them as a friend. Well, if I do this, well, then they're not going to like me. Well, if I do this, then I'm, okay, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Maybe if you don't do it, that they're going to end up going to hell. So what's more important, yourself or where they're going to go? And you can do it in a way that you actually show that you really do love them. You don't have to be a jerk about it. You know what I mean? Just love them and talk to them out of a heart of compassion And if they get mad at you, then it's really they're mad at God because how could they deny your love for them by telling them the truth? Especially if you do it with compassion. So think about these things. It will help you. It will help you. Lord God, we come before you this morning and we just want to thank you again. I pray, God, that you would change our hearts and you would help us to just wipe the scales off of our eyes and let us think about these things this week. And as we come together Wednesday and we spend some time discussing some Uh, some things with Laodicea, some of the stuff we've been going over, some of these things. I pray, God, we'd have a very fruitful discussion and a conversation together. And all the things that we do would just be a way for us to uh, just be ready when we go out into the world and 
and have opportunities to open our mouth and invite people to church and to give people the gospel and give them an answer for the hope that's within us. So we just ask for your help because we need it every day. We're so weak, God. And, but you've said that when we're weak, that you can be strong. And so we just need to let you have your way in our life. So we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.